Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm doing great. How are you? Really good. Excited for this episode tonight. It's episode 96 of The Long Finish. We've got another interview. This is a fun one. I didn't know what to expect. Really, Tug brought this guest on, and it was totally fun. It's my hope with the growth and expansion of The Long Finish to bring in more people that we're interested in talking to about their likes and dislikes in the food and beverage world. This person is not directly related to the food and beverage world, but you'll learn in the interview that his past is very closely related to the world. Yeah, that was really fun to find out his roots in hospitality. I loved that, and that gave us some good common ground to go off of. I also know a thing or two about golf, so I was able to to chat with him there. Catherine's giving it away. Our guest tonight is Tron Carter from the golf content ecosystem known as No Laying Up. Now, folks, if you're not a fan of golf, you should probably start getting into golf because it's the, one of the greatest <laughs> <Yeah>. sports. <laughs> but if you are a fan of golf, you may have heard of No Laying Up. If you have not, you should start listening to them, watching their videos on YouTube. It's an amazing content and media company originated by three friends from Miami of Ohio, and our guest, Tron Carter, is one of them. The other original creators of that platform, No Laying Up, are Chris Solomon, Phil Landis, Tron Carter, whose real name is Todd Schuster, his brother, Neil Schuster, and DJ Pihowski came on. DJ Pi, he's affectionately known as in the No Laying Up world. These are the five guys who really created something that is so inspiring for people who make podcasts, make videos, and amazing social media account. This started when they were working in different jobs. In 2013, it started as a Twitter handle, grew into a podcast where they found out pretty soon that people of repute in the golf world were listening to them, including players, including Roy McIlroy, including Jordan Spieth. People like this were all listening to them, and they realized they had some, they had some weight. They had a real voice not only to affect the way professional golf is being seen, but also become players in their own right. They have, they have a deal with Titleists currently. They, I watch a lot of videos where I watch them play golf. It's really amazing what they've carved out. But along the way, the reason I wanted to bring Tron on is because when I listen to him talk on interviews, he has a pretty incredible knowledge about food and wine. And we learned tonight, I mean, during the interview, just how knowledgeable he really is. Absolutely. That was fun for us to get to talk real wine talk, real food talk, with someone you just met. It's really great. And I, I wasn't so familiar with the platform just because my interest in golf is is a light touch. You played golf in high school. Yeah, and I still play sometimes. You do. But I don't listen to podcasts about golf. Fair that's, enough. That, that, that's that's <laughs> where I draw the line. But they have a podcast. They have the social media. They make wonderful videos that uh, that we were watching together, travel videos about different golf courses all over the world. That, that was particularly fun for me and got to see them enjoying the food and culture of wherever they were visiting. That, that part was really cool. So I think it's gone from golf to many other things, and that made it feel inclusive for me enough to have a great conversation with this person. Yeah, they talk about golf and golf culture. They went to recently... They recently went to Scandinavia for golf trips. We talked about Tron's affinity for looking up cool restaurants to visit in the area. 
where he gets his wine ideas from people, where he's traveling or at home. He looked through our list at Esther's, and you two really huddled together to find a wine that you thought would be fun for him to drink tonight in the interview. So we'll discuss a great orange wine. We're going to talk about orange wine in the interview. We're going to talk about some golf. He's got some great golf stories, some great food and bev stories, and the interview is a lot of fun. So I hope you check them out. Check out No Laying Up on Instagram. Check out at uh, Tron Carter on Instagram and on Twitter. He's been known to throw some hot takes out there, so he's a lot of fun on social media. Check him out. One note before we get into this interview, and I should say, I should preface this, Catherine. We wish the audio could be better. We did it over Zoom. I worked so hard to set up an audio and video upgrade for this particular interview, and I butchered it. God bless Tron, who was on our computer trying to help us out during the interview. So I still think the interview comes out fantastically, but it's our hope in the next few episodes to add a visual component, figure out ways to improve our audio with guests across the computer. You can hear me panicking on the interview, but all the best intentions. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. We've got a great orange wine tonight that we discuss. We have a great guest in Tron Carter from No Laying Up. So I hope you enjoy the interview. I mean, I really, I'm impressed by what you all do. I, I mean, that's a testament to you, DJ Pi. But, you know, the video component that you've added over the past couple of years has been such such a win. Like, it's such a fun thing to come to. And I think it's like you're watching people that you have real interest in. It's really exciting. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's the a highest compliment that you can pay. It's funny. Like, people meet us sometimes. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're, you're exactly like you are on video or on the podcast. I'm like, I hope so. <laughs> like, other, like, we're not trying to fake it or, or, you know, pull the wool over anybody's eyes. So totally agree. I mean, I, I introduced Catherine to some of your stuff when you traveled to, I guess we call it Scandinavia for the last yeah. tour boss, right? So that part for me is so fun because like I can get into all the other stuff, the dinners, like the people, the culture, and like then I don't have to listen to so much about golf. So I mean, I, I do play golf, but that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's like the ultimate sweet spot, I think, is if like it, it passes the spouse viewing test of like hey like 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 i will watch this with you because it's not just golf shot after golf shot after golf shot there's culture there's people there's it's, it's almost more human interest i think tourist sauce and strap for that matter too thank you for being a part of the show most people that we interview are people in the wine world but we want to branch out as we find more people that we want to get to know and who also are passionate and just have are a fan of food and beverage like yourself so we're excited to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, I'm stoked to talk to you guys too. It's, I'm uh, apologizing it's, right now on the record. I want to get this on the Zoom. That TC over here waited over 20 minutes for me to sort of <laughs> uh, get through my Luddite uh, stance uh, in production and uh, TV. So uh, we're working on that. Work in progress. Even though I work in entertainment, that's really sad. But um, so, Tron, first question I have for you is the question I ask everybody on the show is like, what, what's your memories of wine and beverage? on your table growing up with your family, your parents, et cetera? Yeah. So my mom is an excellent cook. Um, I think she kind of just, she comes from a big family, uh, six brothers and sisters, and, and she kind of taught herself how to cook. I think when my brother and I were growing up, like she wasn't a great cook and then just more or less like just trial by fire. And, uh, and, and we probably weren't the uh, easiest critics either. Like if it wasn't good, we weren't going to eat it. So both my parents, like we traveled a lot when I was younger. Both my parents have definitely appreciation for wine. My dad loves Piemonte stuff from Northern Italy. My mom 
big Chardonnay drinker. And it's, you know, kind of one of those things where it just, it was always on the table. We were encouraged to, you know, have a half glass here or there starting from a pretty young age. And, and from there, it just kind of snowballed. Like, like I went to college at Miami of Ohio and after college thought about going to culinary school. That was kind of my, my Hi. passion. And my cousin, I called my cousin, actually, he was the exact, or the, the chef de cuisine at Blue Hill up in New York and working for Dan well, Barber. Wow. And, uh, and, you know, I was, I was like, Hey, like, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And he was like, uh, he was like, I would think long and hard. Cause it's not, it's not an easy industry. <laughs> it's, it's very, so I ended up going into hotels instead. I figured that was kind of food and beverage adjacent, worked on the room side and then actually met my wife working for Ritz Carlton. She actually studied journalism at Colorado Boulder and, and then, no way. yeah. And then realized pretty early on that she was like, all right, like I, I do not want to be in journalism. She's from Naples, Florida. So she ended up started the Ritz there and, you know, it's turned into close to 15 year career in hospitality for her. Her parents own restaurants down in Naples growing up. Both of her parents went to Cornell hospitality school. Um, you know, just kind of one of those things where it's always been kind of on the periphery, but my favorite thing to do is cook. Like I love, like, it's just, it's like the one that like cooking and fly fishing are the two things that I can go do and not think about anything else. I just like, I can leave the worries of the day behind, but it's been like that, you know, from a young age, like uh, it was funny. I was making this crab dip last night. It brought back all these memories, like the smell of the Worcestershire shark sauce just brought back these memories of cooking a pretty similar dip with my mom growing up. So kind of full circle moment there. But that was a long, convoluted answer to. No, it's a great it's answer. Kind of all, because that, it, it kind of helps us open up yeah. to. So I listen to your content more than Catherine does. So I know that you're legit. When you talk about the things that you're passionate about, the food and the wine, it's a good segue because Catherine's got a wine for us to drink as we're conversing. You went through Esther's list. You kind of presented some things. Catherine pitched some things back and we landed on a wine for tonight. So Catherine, can you let the audience know what we're drinking tonight? Yeah, I'm so excited about this. This is the A.D. Beckham Amphora Pinot Gris, vintage 2019. And it's from Chehala Mountains in Oregon. Skin contact, Pinot Gris from Oregon, from the Beckham family. I'm really excited about this wine and on all their wines, because I think they're really unique in what they're doing. Andrew Beckham is a trendsetter in North America. So, and, and the wine is delicious, but we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, I'll talk a little more about the orange wine and wines from the U.S. I think is something that we're all, you know, looking more into as things get more expensive right now. So it's nice to look domestic. So we'll ask Tron about his passion for orange wines and things like that uh, first, but this is a podcast that was born out of us looking for a way to sort of be together while we were raising two and now three young boys. You have two young boys as well. So we would love to bond with you now <laughs> over our life of raising two small kids. And you're on the road a lot. So yeah. can you let us in about what your domestic life looks like as you raise kids? Are you, are you now in the age where you're taking kids to sporting, youth sports and things like that? What's the day-to-day -day life look like for you and your wife? Yes, we have a six-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Two-and-a-half-year-old, just uh, we just ditched his crib, put him in a big boy bed. We're going through that whole transition right now. He, you know, he's he's been having bad dreams and knocking on the door a lot. So it's been kind of a, a terse couple of weeks as far as sleep and everything's concerned. But they're both awesome. They're both sports obsessed. It's funny, my brother Neil and I, like we're three years, three months apart. Ours are about three years, six months apart. 
And it's funny because the younger one reminds me so much of Neil. Like he's he's just like it's it's like deja vu with, with, with certain stuff. So, you know, but they're they're great. Uh, they're both crazy into football. I think Gustav, the younger one, he's going to be more of a golfer and like he'll probably be my golfer. Freddie, Freddie's just football obsessed. Like he's playing basketball right now. And he said to me after the game on Saturday, he was like, that uh, like I, I just don't like this as much as football. So you know he loves it. They're both really adventurous eaters, which I I really appreciate. Like they both love vegetables. They love shrimp, steak, lobster. Freddie had caviar on. on no, we, we don't have that. We, you, you might have to come over and teach our kids how to do that because we're uh, a, chicken nuggets, yeah. mac and yeah. cheese. Pizza. How old are yours? <laughs> Six, four, and 21 months. Okay. So, so but that, yeah. that sleep, that transition of that bed, is, I remember so painfully, so painfully. Our middle one jumped out so early and it was, uh, he transitioned to a crib before he was, or, you know, a bed before he was two. It was mm -hmm. a nightmare. But the one, the 21 month old right now that never even stands up. He's a dream. So <laughs> that's nice. As a person who travels as much as you do, we saw that one of your compatriots, Solly, is having a kid later this year. But as far as yeah. I know, you're the only one that has children. Yeah, so I was kind of the first one. Or I guess DJ and I were both both married when we kind of started this. And then, yeah, Solly, Solly and Hannah are expecting. I know Neil and Carson will probably, probably be trying later this year. Uh, and then Cody, who works with us, he has he has three daughters under the age of five. He has, gotcha. he has twins. Wow, he's then, fully in it right now. Yeah. I guess, so, I guess my question to you is, because you have two young boys, are you judgmental? Are you uh, particular about what travel you want to do more than more so than the other guys? Yeah, it's funny. Like, I actually get more work done on the road, I think. And when I'm 100%. home, I like, to no, be, I, like, I, I like to be home. So it's like, I just transitioned. We've got a garage out back in our house. So I, I, I like built this into my office. So I have peace and quiet and good audio at all times back here, which has been a big game changer for me. So uh, I can be more productive when I'm home now. But yeah, it's definitely a struggle. Like I'm, you know, it's tough to leave for longer than a week. And some of these trips, like the tourist sauce trips are, you know, they're two week trips or like, like next month, I'm going to New Zealand and Australia and, and, uh, and then stopping down in Tasmania on, on the way back. And that'll be like a 13 day trip. But you know, it's kind of and then I'm going to Western Scotland in April, but it's like, I feel like I can do you know, a few of those a year. And then when I'm home, I'm home. Like I'm, you know, I work out of the house. I pick the boys up at school. My, my wife's a saint though. I mean, like we started no laying up, you know, back in gosh, like 2013 or 2014. And then did it kind of as a hobby for a few years. I was working the overnight shift at the Ritz and, you know, just kind of doing this overnight. And then when the time came to, to kind of quit my job, I was working for Marriott Corporate and we had like Freddie, our older one was, he was like six months when I quit my job. And so my wife was like, she, Alex is a saint. She's, she's <laughs> extremely supportive and she's great with me on the road too. Like she's, you know, it's kind of the deal of like, all right, if you travel, you just got to be engaged when you're home, you know, like fully, fully engaged instead of kind of trying to split your time. So we're getting better at like managing the calendar too. I think that's been a big, big source of, you know, anxiety for all of us and only more so as, as more guys have kids and stuff. So we'll see how it, 
how it goes. But yeah, I'm probably the one that likes traveling the most out of the group too. It just keeps me recharged. Like it's, you know, I read more when I'm on the road. I, I listen to more podcasts. Like I feel, I feel inspired when I come home after a trip. So. We're taking our first trip this weekend. My parents are celebrating their 50th anniversary back in Virginia. So we're going to nice. a little party for my parents and we're leaving our kids alone with our, with our, our old nanny for the first time ever. It's never happened. So we're like, so scared. We're, we're scared, but we're also excited to have like, it's, you know, the, the, the plane rides, like you said, you get more work done in those five hour plane rides cross country yeah. than any time in the house. Totally. So we're looking yeah. forward to that. But you mentioned last thing, and we'll get into some wine here. You mentioned that your brother, who you also work with at No Laying Up, we work together at Esther's, our, you know, our wine store. We work pretty closely. What's it like working with your brother? How has your relationship changed over time being brothers? And now, now you're sort of, you know, bosses together. Yeah, it's, I think if you would have told me that 15 years ago that I'd be working with my brother, I would have said you were crazy. But it's really, I think we have a great level of trust with each other and, and probably see eye to eye on on most things. And it's just, yeah, it's it, it, it's a dream come true, to be honest. I mean, it's it's as good as it gets. It's really, really cool, like being able to do this with some of my best friends and my brother. But I think also like sometimes if we're around each other too much, like on these long trips, it's some of the old habits or some of the old... Uh, you know, idiosyncrasies can, can kind of bleed in. And like, we were at each other's throats when we were growing up, just, you know, I probably wasn't the best older brother. We were kind of not close enough to where, you know, I was always four grades ahead of him. So he was always trying to keep up and, but it was, it was always like, all right, like you're, you're trying to keep up, but you're holding me back or, or keeping me from doing fun stuff that like older kids can do. And then as soon as I got home from college, it was kind of like, things changed and we, and we became like really good friends after that, I think. But it was, it was definitely touch and go there for a while growing up, just because I think, you know, the three year, like three year, three month gap was, was tough. Something we're excited about, I have two sisters, she has a brother, but we've never seen brothers. You've actually seen brothers because you have a brother. So you're watching your boys grow up. You kind of know maybe what to expect. Whereas yeah, we have no idea what we're seeing. Oh I mean, it's just like, there's no shirts on in the house. You know, it's constant wrestling. It, so intense. It, it's just, it's just, well, and, and they just copy they each other too. Like if yeah. if Freddie does something, I know Gustav's doing that. So like Freddie, Freddie peed, like he was peeing off the front porch the other day, and <laughs> sure enough, like Gustav, who's not even potty trained yet, rips his diaper off and peeing off the front porch. It's oh just, you know, that's amazing. How I segue from peeing off the front porch, I won't. John, <laughs> John. <laughs> But I want to get into back into the to the wine uh, and food culture because I I really get excited and DJ Pie talks about this when he listens to Smartless how Jason Bateman and Arnett talk about golf so much I love I love yeah. hearing people talk about their other passions when they're they're doing their job and so what is the food and wine world like for you as as a person who watches like the golf PJ golf do you think people are into wine on the PJ golf tour I, th- I think about like LeBron and D Wade who have like yeah. basically yeah. overhauled wine the way people think about wine in the NBA. Is there any of that in golf? Oh, absolutely. Like I had dinner with Rory last year in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Rory's like a massive wine guy and loves, loves Bordeaux. You can't really get into Burgundy, he said. There's too much, too much lavender for him. Oh. But, uh, you know, which I thought was in it. I was like, all right, we got to get into like the right Burgundy then. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, you know, really, really passionate about first growth Bordeaux stuff as, you know, not hard to be passionate about that. But, but yeah, definitely a lot of those guys are deep into it. I think it's, you know, golf is a great way to 
kind of see the world and see and you know indulge in in different stuff around the country the napa event for instance like like i've always wanted to go out to that zach blair good buddy of mine like he he played i think one year in the pebble beach pro-am with thomas keller and you know every year he goes to the french laundry out there or there's uh joel damon's another one loves good food on the road you wouldn't think that about joel for some reason he has you know he gives <laughs> off a no, I wouldn't say a schleppier look, but kind of an everyman vibe. Yeah, though, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I would say there, there's definitely a subset of guys where it's just they're on the road so much and there's so many kind of lonely nights in hotels. So I think, you know, seeking out some of those great spots on the road is definitely that's definitely part of it. Like, like sometimes I get in trouble on our trips for planning everything we do around like where I want to go eat or like, you know, going here or there, like tourist sauce, for instance, we're up at Lufthansen, you know, up in the, in Northern Norway. And there's these great restaurants 45 minutes away. And the group is just exhausted. And like, it doesn't get dark. Right. So you can you got to find time to sleep. You got to like kind of remind yourself to sleep. And I'm trying to get the group to drive 45 minutes after a long shooting day to go eat at this restaurant. And they're like, dude, like we just want to go to sleep. <laughs> like, So, it, you know, it's kind of a push and pull for us of, you know, I've got to almost take some personal trips that, that kind of have some golf involved just to scratch that itch a little bit more. That sounds like that really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I know. I like the, the wine trips that I've done you know, are so on the go and you're in a van and you're with this producer and you're having this yeah. lunch. Now you're in a van and you're with this producer and you have this meal. And by the end of the day, you're just like, oh my gosh, can I just like walk around a plaza and have, see a castle and have a coffee? You know, <laughs> I just can't do it. Even though it sounds so awesome. You know, you just, yeah. you need a mix of the stuff, totally. you know, your vacations for pleasure need to have all the things. I'd be with you. I would squeeze it all in. Uh, you know, I, my energy yeah. is relentless. So I, I'm going to those restaurants with you. Speaking of that, because you're, you're in hospitality for a long time, you do travel a lot. I mean, how do you seek out the places that you want to eat? Do you look at word of mouth? Are you on eater? I mean, where, where are you getting these? Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of eater. It's a lot of just asking friends, asking like, like sometimes I'll just put it out on Twitter. Hey, go in here any wrecks, right? And there's people that, that kind of know know what I'm about or know what I like that'll reach out. And it's been the same thing with wine too. Like there's a guy up in Sonoma, Tom Darling, who he's like very small producer up there. But like I've I've gotten to know him pretty well over the last last couple of years and love his wine. But like he's he's recommended some awesome places in the Bay Area to eat. Or it's definitely like it was funny. I went, I took my wife to Paris, Paris and Amsterdam last month. I listened to the so, I listened to the show. It sound it sounded great. It was awesome. But like, man, I was so like Paris, I hadn't been in like 12 years. I was so overwhelmed planning that trip to where like it's there's literally hundreds of places that I wanted to eat and trying to figure out reservations or walk ups or just just, you know, blocking that time off. And then it's in January. It's during fashion week. All these places are packed anyway. Like that was a trip where I was like, oh, my gosh, like like I need to go back here four or five more times just to get a lay of the land. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's definitely certain places, too, where it's like I love coming out to L.A like great place to just like explore neighborhoods, right? Like don't, don't buy it off more than you can chew. Like, like I like going deep in a certain neighborhood instead of just trying to hit, you know, the top spots all over the city of, of really, you know, kind of make sure to, you know, I'm from Atlanta originally and it's the same thing in Atlanta or DC, like, or Houston, like trying to go a level deeper in all those places versus spreading yourself thin and just, and just relying on like, this is the buzzy new place right now. It's kind of my preference. Coming out to LA for the US Open? Yeah, I'm coming out. Uh, we're doing Media Day on May 1st. 
I think. I'm actually I'm flying from Glasgow, Scotland to LA for the media day. Uh, I'm going Glasgow to Paris, Paris to LA. That'll be, I'll be my head will be spinning after that one. But um, and then I think I'm going to come out early week for the U.S. Open. I, I like I have not been this excited about a major golf tournament in years. I think LACC is going to be a dream to watch. We won't guys. talk too much about golf, but it's a great week. We're taping this. Uh, this might come out in a couple of weeks, but we're taping this during uh, G- Genesis week here where everyone's at Riviera. This is an open invitation. I expect you to, to see you at Esther's and or Casilla next door when you come out either um, May or June. Um, I've already been scoping the menu. That mushroom soup uh sounds oh, like yeah. i'm a i'm a mushroom fiend <laughs> anything yeah. mushrooms is like love to have you. I, I agree i've been lucky enough to play um lacc three times both the north and the south and I, I can't wait to see what they do with it i can't wait watching the walker cup you know people can really get after it but it's such a special place my favorite walk is and probably in well honestly the world but in la is walking down one so wide open both courses yeah. kind of converging. You can see downtown in the distance, so sunny. They met the, the Valley Hill run right there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just an insane walk. You just kind of pinch yourself. Like, I can't believe I'm, the, you know, in the heart of the city, but it feels like in the middle of nowhere. It's really yeah. special. But Well, and not far from there is my favorite golf course, which is the Par 3 at Rancho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can get a great view of the city. Walks of life. Listen. Welcome at that course. There are people with plastic bags full of balls and their stuff carrying their clubs in hand. No, Lang Up yeah. has a show called Strap. We got to get them to yeah, Rancho Park, which is the I most like second most heavily Amen. trafficked course in the country, but same terrain as LA. So it's yeah. really got you know, great bones. I've well, never played Wilshire either. I'm dying to play Wilshire. I want to come out and watch the ladies event at Wilshire one year too. That looks like an awesome one. And just a, it, another like, like surreal I, piece of property. I agree. Yeah. I've never played it, but I, I had the same instinct when I watched the event too, because it looks fun and it's, and it's right now, again, you drive by it almost anytime yeah. you're in that area, Larchmont area, it's easy to drive by, but enough golf. We'll get into more golf in a second, but we talked about recommendations, <laughs> how you find your recs for food. We wanted to bring a recommendation to you for wine and talk to people about the popularity of orange wine and more. So can you remind everyone what we're drinking tonight? And yeah, we just sure. get, a little, get a little lesson in this one. So this is the A.D. Beckham. It's the Amphora Pinot Gris from Chehala Mountains, Oregon. And this is vintage 2019. So you're into orange wine, right? Tom? I am. Yeah. The craze is real. It's, it's happening. You know what? It's tough to find here in Northeast Florida, uh, as mm-hmm. are most wines, but it's something like I love drinking it because it's it's hot here a lot of the year. And I like drinking whites with a little bit of oomph to them or a little bit of body to them. So I drink a lot of like a lot of orange wine. There's a guy, Mick Craven. I love his stuff from South Africa. He's got a great, great Pinot Gris. And then I'm trying to think what else? A lot of like Pinot Blanc too. Just I just like funky, cool, cool whites that like have a little bit of character to them because I want to drink red wine a lot, but it's just too hot here. Right. Yeah. So like, like Brock Sellers, I drink a lot of their cuckoo cab franc so and just chill that down and like sit by the pool and drink that. And yeah, that the chilled red category has just gone off too. the yeah. orange wines and chilled red. And it's almost one of the predictions I had for this year or maybe last year. Yeah. I don't know. Is that all these categories are almost like melding. So exactly. sometimes I mean, this producer is unique in using the stark bottle. But when you're using a clear bottle, you're like, okay, is that a chilled red or is it a rosé or is it an orange one? I mean, like with this, it could 
be almost anything like this color, you know, this is close to nebbiolo rosé color almost. So it's like, sometimes it's kind of fun that the categories are just blending. But I think that Pinot Gris is a great one. I mean, it's almost the original orange wine because it's from this style of orange wine originated in Freely and it's called Romato Pinot Gris. So Pinot Gris is just a mutation of Pinot Noir and it started in Burgundy. Um, that's its origins. But now Pinot Gris, same thing as Pinot Grigio, is made everywhere, right? It's in Italy, it's in France, it's here, it's in Oregon. But the Romato style, so on the skins, fermented on the skins and, you know, with maceration, that started in Freely. And the name Romato comes from the Italian rame, which means copper, because it kind of gets this copper color. Yeah. And that's also the tradition is often to ferment and age in amphora, which are giant clay vessels. So instead of using stainless steel or oak barrels or cement, you're using clay. And that's really, I mean, back to the origins of wine, you know, like when they talk about the history of wine, like 3000 BC, like whatever they discover, it's these clay vessels. And the Georgia, Republic of Georgia has like, an unbroken tradition of that with the Kevri. But the coolest thing about this wine and Beckham, Andrew Beckham is making his own amphora. This is just remarkable. So Andrew and Andrea Beckham, they started their farm in like the early 2000s in Oregon. They have dogs, they have a farm, they have their own estate where they have Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, I think they have a little Riesling too. And he was a pottery teacher at the high school. And they're like, we're going to start our dream of having this farm. They have three kids and they have this incredible farm. They farm, they never use chemicals. They farm biodynamically. They have sheep, they have honey. Like this place is, I don't know if you've seen pictures, but it's like gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Talk about not separating work and family. Like, can you imagine like your (laughs) whole life? You're like, I'm sorry, I'm out back trying to like, fire this terracotta and your dog is coming up and then you and mom go wait we gotta go harvest and like oh sorry my wife needs me for a PTA meeting I don't know like I my brain would explode but it's also so beautiful like I look at that and like that's the way to live you know it's um but they have this amazing farm but they so some of their wines are Beckham Estate But this A.D. Beckham are wines that they source grapes from neighbors who farm like they do. I should also add that I am kind of a nerd about farming. Our podcast sometimes gets into that. Esther's gets into that. But I am obsessed with chemical-free farming at a bare minimum, but it should be practicing organic. And I love anything beyond, which is like dry farm. These guys, they never irrigate. Mm organic. They practice biodynamics. So thinking of a whole vineyard as its own ecosystem and regenerative, which is like even rebuilding the soil and giving back. And they don't till, they don't plow, which is actually sequestering carbon as well. They did one, one little parcel, one part of a vineyard last year. And they messaged like, Hey, by the way, we had to do this, but normally they don't. (laughs) I mean, come on guys, they had to do it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they source the grapes for this from some neighbors who the farming practices they appreciate and are practicing permaculture also. Um, I'll be honest. I, I like you sent me the name of this one said, hey, this is what we're drinking. I, I went to the website. 
I was like sold right there. I joined oh, their club okay. like right on the right on the spot. I was like, it just it just speaks to me, like everything they're doing, everything they're about. That so. what they're doing, it's like it they it's just so authentic, right? You know, like okay, but the four is so amazing too. So he is the only one, Andrew, in North America making these things. There's a couple that's, of that's so cool. It's amazing. A few yeah. other people in Oregon using like an amphora here or there. They're importing mm -hmm. it from Italy, but he was inspired by Elisabetta Foradori. I don't know if you know her wines, but like high, huge, go get them tonight. Recommendation okay. from <laughs> Northern Italy. Yeah. She is my queen. Yeah. She is like, yes, go. And okay. you're welcome. <laughs> um, so she, they read about that she was using Amphora and he was like oh like and she's getting hers from spain like maybe i could make this and so he started practicing and so they were smaller he started with different sizes now like the large one he makes is almost five feet tall he had to like get all talk about getting different equipment and kilns and crazy stuff for this but he's doing it commercial commercially doing it the cool thing about making these is they never go bad you know he's going to be using them forever yeah. They're really fragile. They're really hard to clean. But the cool thing is that they're more porous. They're more, they allow more oxygen than wood. So the wine develops faster. It develops these yeah. like tertiary characteristics faster. And it doesn't impart like a flavor, but it does have a texture, which you really get in this wine. Yeah. It has, this is on the skins for like 10 months. I think it says even on the back of the bottle, 10 months but you get that texture, that kind of like clay brick kind of, it's not pure. It's not clean, right? Yeah. Like it's almost like there's something not fully gritty, but like a little, like, like it a has chewiness something. or something to it. Yeah. yeah. So that idea of like, this maybe is in the red world is so real. Can I just say like yeah. from a pedestrian standpoint, Yeah. not only this wine amazingly made, but like, I think it's, this wine is really good. We're drinking this in all fairness. I've had lunch yet. Yeah. But everything tastes amazing. I had a full blown panic attack. Like I bring Tron on, excited to talk to him. We're working on this. <laughs> I blow it up in the first five minutes. Don't have any food. Now I'm just chugging this wine. But well, it's it, kind of nice. Like this could be, you could drink this with anything. Too. Yeah, like, we, you could I'm drink glad it you brought with... that up. We're going to talk about pairings yeah. here in a second. Anything else you want to say about this one? Oh, and also, do you believe, Tron, in like, this is going to get woo-woo, but like days of the week in which you can drink a wine, like fruit days, no. this, is, okay. this is next level of geekery right here. Just We're so going to you know. become friends. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like, yeah, like, you know, I have no, I think maybe it just comes back to like being in hospitality for so long, like days of the week and, and in my current job too, like days of the week, like aren't really a thing. Anymore. <laughs> like you know my off day like like i'm gonna try to take tomorrow off right because like i know riviera like we're gonna be on for the next you know from thursday to sunday and then mondays we have meetings and like so tuesdays and wednesdays are kind of the days that we take off and um but no it's definitely something where like i'm probably gonna have sake with dinner tonight <laughs> probably you yeah. know monday night thing well even even more than this the day of the week though there's like this actually pertains to your boy Rory being afraid of Burgundy to some degree. I don't know if he's afraid, but not wanting to go there because you know yeah. Burgundy is so fickle. And and yes. we we yeah. we try to drink Burgundy on days. And Kevin can expand on this on days when the biodynamic cycle says this is a good day to drink. Yeah. It. Well, whether or not you believe in the yeah. calendar, it's just like it. 
Burgundy is so fickle. Like, give it a fighting chance. Give it the best chance. Like, drink it on the whatever day the universe says, try, because it's just hard. It's so disappointing often. Do you remember the app uh, that people are asking? Yeah, it's called When Wine, if you get the app. Get the when wine app. So if you're looking for burgundies and things like that, like then you'll know like, oh, it's a fruit day. Good day for that. You know, don't waste good burgundy on a day where it's a root day. You know what I mean? That's true. I I don't know what today is, but like, I think this wine is really cool because Pinot Gris is not that aromatic, but this to me is, has a lot on the nose. You know, I wouldn't say that it jumps out of the glass, but it has, there's a lot of character. So this is where I struggle. I have like, I'm, I'm getting a, sinus surgery here in the next couple of months because i've oh. realized over the last couple of years like like my nose just doesn't work at all and so i finally went to the ent and he was like yeah your your nose is like a non-functioning ornament on your face and so oh. it, it like i think i broke my nose when i was in like third or fourth grade playing basketball and i just i never knew you know really otherwise and so i remember like sitting for like the court master sommelier's thing and it was just like it was like i i couldn't I couldn't smell anything. Everything was taste for me. Wait, did you and do so, the court? Yeah, I, I've got my one. My wife's got her two. Breaking news so here. We're, 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 we're probably going to try to do, like, like I'd like to do my yeah. two. She wants to do her three. But I don't do service anymore. So like yeah. I know they're gonna they're gonna come out with that with that warm bottle of, of champagne <laughs> that I have oh. to open, and yeah. I'm gonna fumble all, all over myself. Oh my God. Um, you know, and just from like a like a smell and just like the the full you know tasting and and all the smell clues, I just totally whiff on those because I can't smell anything. Yeah. But just think, your passion is going to explode. Oh, exactly. if they get that. Oh yeah. my yeah. gosh. Oh, I mean, he was he was like, you probably haven't slept in like five years, like truly slept, and like you probably smelled ten percent of stuff. So it's like I'm like getting <laughs> no a sense, like I'm like getting a sense back, right? So, that's incredible wow. yeah well we'll smell and, this for you let me just tell you <laughs> apple skins guava wet like a kind of brick minerally character earthy character but the palette is like that too it's got that apple skin and guava it's like really mirrors on the palette and it's fruity and it has a lot of perceived sweetness without being sweet which is so yeah pleasurable without food let me ask you a two-part question quickly about this one yeah. which is what uh, and one's about orange wine in general how does orange wine make the expression of that grape different than a normal pinot gris well definitely think this is a great pinot gris is a great example because on its own i mean pinot grigio if you've had it it is so boring you know like there's yeah. two good ones ever it's medium acid it's not aromatic it's oak or not whatever it's just boring so at least on the skins, it has more texture. It has this beautiful color because it naturally is kind of grayish pink to a copper. Even it is buried in the bunches. So it can develop a lot with those skins. This is a perfect rate to do an orange wine. Oops. I think this wine is delicious, especially when you don't have lunch. I recommend not having lunch and then enjoying this bottle of wine. That's the way I tell everyone. <laughs> well, if you do have lunch... I they can go with so many things. Like I'm thinking of a charcuterie sandwich right now, you know, like it's exactly like what a I was thinking. Sandwich yeah. with like spicy jam on it and some I don't know. Or or a really good, like a really good, well seasoned chicken. Uh like a like a nice, like almost like spicy chicken would be 
perfect for this. Yeah, too, I like think spices, maybe even like a Moroccan chicken, like with a, you know, you got your chicken yeah. tagine with your Moroccan chicken. That would be delicious. Any kind of spices, I think. Um, and where can we get, where can people, go, not only at Esther's, but anywhere else, how do you get this wine? How do you get orange wines? I'm looking to go online to get this one. Yeah, but... you can go on their website. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's a matter of where they're allowed to ship to. Like, I, I, and I don't know about Florida, but yeah, Florida, I think Florida's good. I know Missouri oh. is like always, a, always an issue. I think Missouri is one of the ones, but yeah, Florida, it's weird. Burns Steakhouse in Tampa, they sell so much great wine that they, they've come up with their own, they have their own distribution facility. So UPS basically ships everything in there and then distribute, and then like everything climate controlled goes into tampa for florida it's it's kind of weird logistically but it works that's great and so yeah just go direct to their website and then some small wine shops will have it but their production the beckham wines the production is really low because it's you know i explained their team it's tiny so there's this wine. i think you should go out there and get this wine today and, and orange wines in general just go to your local wine shop and be like I want to try orange wine. I mean, how do you tell the regular wine consumer to get into orange wine? I mean, I think just start asking and like, maybe there's not a ton where you are, but if people just start asking for it, they'll get it. You know, that's what people need to do because everything sort of starts, you know, in the metropolitan areas and then, you know, it branches out. So eventually there will be more orange wine, but until then go to shops where that ship and producers that, you know, like AD Beckham. And there, yeah, there's great people in North America doing it, which is really cool. Now, TC, a couple questions left before we let you go. It'd be happy to know um, I'm coaching my six-year-old's basketball team this season, and uh, I need to have some lunch before I do that. Um, but uh, your wine expertise is pretty impressive. I mean, you emailed us the wines you had at your wedding. You went through our list. Yeah. You know the bulk of them. I mean, this is it's. I'm, I'm excited for people to listen to this who are fans of yours to see the the depth of knowledge and passion you have for food and wine it's it's real um, well thank you yeah it's it's i don't know it's kind of like it's this taped together kind of thing where it's just all kind of experiential you know and i don't like i don't pretend to be an expert at all but it all just comes from like i'm just passionate about it right and always always willing to learn about it so it's kind of yeah it's definitely um i don't know i think it's probably like i'm more passionate about this than i am about golf if that if that makes sense so yeah. amazing when we get start getting into the next part, that's books for me. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, the passion for that. So I, I got I a couple of questions from our listeners uh, that also love golf. And I brought them up with you on our uh, pre-interview, which is, you know, when you go to visit some of these great golf courses, what are you looking to drink when you go there? One, one of the questions I specifically had was, do you drink the house drinks, the transfusions, the South sides, whatever the club has? Yeah. Do you feel obliged like uh... to try those things? I'm not a huge transfusion guy. Um, I don't know. I just don't love like just like bad grape juice, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, like like Southside, it like I've been to National Golf Links before and like had the Southside. It's like yeah, like do that or I had that um, at Shinnecock. That's that's where I like, really first heard about it. Um, yeah, pretty amazing. I'm trying to think, like I came out to Santa Barbara and did Valley Club last year with Randy and Poosh and we're sitting on the back porch there and have, I can't remember what their drink is there, but I, like if they're known for it, I try to, I try to go with that. It's, you know, at least for the first drink and then I'll kind of branch off from there. I'm the same exact way. It's like whatever the server at the restaurants recommends, I'll, I'll try. Do, have you noticed, because you're a world traveler, 
and this is another question from the listeners about the wine programs at some of these golf clubs. Have you noticed that people care about wine at these clubs that you like, where they like golf? What's, what have you noticed about the relationship to wine and golf at some of the places you've played? It's very dependent upon the membership, very dependent upon the region you're in. I've been places that you'd never expect that have just this awesome wine program. And then I've been places where you would think that it would be, you know, kind of a Michelin star thing and they have, really, really crappy wine. So it's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I think some of it just comes from, you know, an engaging membership. You know, some of it comes from like, do you have a bunch of national members or not? And are they coming in from other, you know, from other places, you know, but I mean, like, I think Augusta National is probably like the perfect example of like, I know they send their SOM out with, you know, $10 million a year and basically say like, go buy up as much first growth and second growth stuff as you possibly can. And then, They've got the verticals from, you know, 1940 onward for all those things. Yeah. And they're all priced like, you know, according, like they're all priced at like what they bought them for. Like it's like the Augusta price, the, wow. the pimento cheese sandwiches exactly. for Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, the uh, Mouton Rothschild. All right, cool. It's like, you know, $82 or something like that. <laughs> no, so, not so. anymore. Not after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But, and then I, I think the probably the most interesting most interesting drinks I've come across are um, over in the UK, in England, they do, it's called Bovril. It's basically like beef broth and brandy. And oh. I have not like, and you know what, I've had it at National before too. And they, I, I've never seen it anywhere else. And it is the most, like on a really cold, crappy, like wet day. It just like, it just warms you up. It's like the, and, and I guess there's something about brandy where like the body, the body digests or metabolizes brandy quicker than it does anything else. And so that's, that's part of the reason for it, but it's just this almost rich umami drink. And, uh, you know, it's probably got more salt than like your recommended daily intake, but it's, <laughs> it's delicious. Wait, we're big fans of brandy at Esther's because of the wine backbone. Yeah. Um, and, and for, for many years, people were sort of scared to get into cocktails that had a, a brandy base. But recently, we've noticed that people are taking the plunge to get more into brandy. And we love it. We're really excited about, mm -hmm. you know, educating people on that and, having, you know, knowing that there's, there's a lot of range of brandy. So that's maybe we'll bring that next for next winter. Where was there any place like, besides Augusta National where you were like, wow, this fun program is a surprise. And well, so Augusta, I've never been like, or I've, I've never played it. I've been to the Masters a lot, but like, I've never played it or I've never like been in there. I've just been sent like their, their wine list. Right, of course. Like studied it in detail. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm trying to think where, where, where that really sticks out. Oh, Hoopy in Georgia, in South Georgia, in Vidalia. They, like their food and beverage program is like on another level. It's, I mean, I think probably I've been there the last three years for an event in December and each time I go, like, I think five of the best 10 meals I've had over the last three years have been at Ohupi. Um, wow. It's just, just incredible. There's no menu. It's family style. They just, Hey, here's what we're having tonight. And there's stuff that they have that, you know, like I'm not, I don't love beans and there's this bean dish that they have. And I can't like, I, it's like among my favorite things in the world. <laughs> so yeah. it's just it, like implicit trust when they, when they put something in front of you, you just eat it. It's, it's crazy good. That's, that's um, the scoop we wanted from the podcast was learning that you don't like beans. That, that's, that was the nugget. <laughs> that's the whole quote from the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but there's been some cool, like some cool stuff, like in Australia, like Metropolitan Golf Club in Australia has, and like Royal Melbourne, they have a great wine program. It's funny, like everybody, 
it's a big lunch scene there. So none of the clubs there, like nobody drinks on the golf course. They all drink oh, after cool. their rounds. And then they have a big, there's, there's kind of the wets and the dries, they call them. And the wets, they, they'll go play and they'll have this big wine lunch. And then they'll they'll basically go play four, uh, foursomes after that and, and play, you know, two balls all shot and they're plastered. But, you know, it's, it's that. And then there's some places in the UK that have like very, very cool, like I ate at the RNA last year. Um, they had a pretty, pretty awesome wine list there, which like I was impressed because like the UK, like in Scotland, they're not normally known for their food, but they have great ingredients. So they should be like, it's getting better and better and better. Right. And they're getting more seafood focused. But yeah, there's, there's some spots here and there too, that'll just kind of knock your socks off where you're like uh, the Palm Beach par three. It's a public 18 hole par three course, like on the, like it's like nine holes are like on the intercoastal nine holes are are uh, like right in the ocean and they have an awesome restaurant upstairs and it's just like you know so sometimes you just find these places that are very under the radar or you know unexpected that you know fantastic uh, food and beverage program i'm really glad you brought that up because maybe like two years ago you had a an episode of uh the trap draw this was another podcast you can go listen to that tc and his friend randy host and they had a, uh, it was an la week and then one of your your good friends from la who lives in santa monica i forget his name he was oh, Laz. yeah yeah Laz. Yeah, yeah exactly so you're talking through some 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 places and he was nice enough to mention the rustic canyon group but there's a course called pinmar um which is where harrison ford landed a plane for, for people yeah. who needed some sort of frame of reference years ago <laughs> it's, it's a very public course you know it's always slow but Catherine plays it with me. My, you know, my six-year-old plays it. But we have a friend of ours who sort of overturned the food and beverage program there. And now it's a spot. Mm-hmm. It's a scene. It's a fun. You can do like a sip and putt. You know, they have people come and do like a live event on Wednesday nights. Like, it's amazing what food and beverage can do for, you talk about the public courses. I mean, it's really cool to find that. I love the idea of like everyone being outside, putting, you know, strolling. It's not yeah. quite a club, but feels inclusive. Well, like, it, like- brings the community into golf like it kind of breaks down that barrier breaks down that fence there's a place up in up in alameda up in oakland uh corica park that they've got an awesome restaurant and like the place is packed all the time with people who aren't playing golf what better way to grow golf than to get people to the golf course that aren't playing golf and then they see it or they go out and putt or you know and it's just it it improves the bottom line at the golf course and it, it just makes it feel more like a public park than than some closed off space yeah. I saw your hesitation on grow the game. You did not want to say it. You caught yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just such a it's just such a trope at this point where it's like it's very real. Like we should, you know, but golf grew tremendously during COVID. But at the end of the day, it's just it's become such an overused cliche for you know some of these companies that yeah, they, they just want to sell, they just want to sell more stuff, right? Like they don't care if more people are actually playing the game and playing the game the right way, you know. Well, last two questions are, you know, we talked a little bit. I asked you on the questionnaire about any of these golfers out there that you know of having their own label. And have you tasted any of these wines? You know, so actually, Solly, Solly was at, uh, he was at Jim Nance's house the other day. Yes. At Pebble. Yes. And he texted me a couple of days later and he's like, hey, uh, I've got, I've got some bottles of wine. Should I sh- like, how do I ship them home? Do I go to the UPS store? Can I put them in my golf bag and just, and just roll them up in, in some towels and, and padding and stuff. But I'm like, all right, well, I'm guessing this is the calling because <laughs> that's Nance's label and everything. He's like, yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think I've had Ernie Els's wine before. I, you know, it, I'm trying to think of any other 
golfers that have their own label. I'm sure Nicholas. I would have jacked, I mean, you, know, you guys, you guys yeah. like to skewer Jack on the show. I'm sure Jack, you know, the bear probably has his. Yeah, right. just probably some really, really bad licensing agreement. Um, I think I've had I'm trying to think of other athletes as well. I've had like Charles Woodson's wine, the Intercept. I think because because I think United <laughs> carries that. You and um, I should have a side job where we just name the wines of these athletes' wines. We have the, <laughs> the best time. The Intercepts. That's a great one. Yeah. Unbelievable. He's a, he, he, this Charles Woodson guy plays football. He's a defensive back, and so his job was to oh, intercept. No. Yeah. yeah. Very go. very on the nose. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever uh, had a good like a good wine that's like a, a an athlete or an entertainer's label that's been like a an above average wine? I don't think I should answer. I, that. I will. I, I will. You know. I will. I'm going to be honest here. For those of you who don't know, so 10 years ago, I worked in entertainment in addition to the restaurant space, and I did a Broadway play where I played Larry Bird in a Broadway play, straight play. And, um, you know, it was a great group, group of people. The director went on to direct Hamilton. Larry Bird was a part of the show. Larry and Magic Johnson it was the sort of relationship of those two. Catherine, I went to visit Larry. I tell this uh, in episode 33 of our show. We went to visit Larry in Indiana after the show closed. And it was a fine conversation nothing crazy it was and at the pacers it was at the pacers uh in, in his office down in the, down in the okay. basement no no windows and it's a pretty like we've, we've met before but we were just sort of having a you know pretty basic conversation and then he had on his tv there's a cnbc thing he said he looks at it and points at it in the middle of our conversation he goes i watched this because i have no windows and i watched this show about a woman who buys wine for costco and it's the job i want most in the world is to buy wine for Costco. I said, well, you're in luck because that's what Catherine's job is. Catherine is a sommelier. She buys wines for a restaurant. And they started to talk like they were best friends. It was like an unlocked yeah. cool conversation. And he ended up getting us two legends, is what it's called. He gave us two okay. bottles of wine. One he signed, and we drank the other one. And it wasn't bad. It, it, wasn't it was, bad. I mean, you, you, you don't was have a cab or was it? It was Merlot. Okay. From Napa. And I mean, I like, I would, I'm happy if someone makes Merlot. It's really, it's, it's easier. It's hard to make a super bad one. And it was yeah. good. And we shared it with my grandma. I feel like she was like, oh, this is delicious. You know, it was perfect. It I was feel great. like Merlot gets a bad rap too. Wait, that, I mean, yeah. Thank you. I like Merlot. Sideways it's good. There's a lot of bad it. stuff, but. Yeah. We're talking about sideways, destro- literally destroying Merlot. Well, then, yeah. I, you know, I feel like Pinot Noir is kind of falling into the same yeah, you know, like like every decade, I feel like there's one wine that kind of falls by the wayside because of either overproduction or you know trying to like fit a stereotype or fit a, a certain flavor profile. Like it was Shiraz for a while, or Syrah or Shiraz, and then Merlot. And I feel like Pinot Noir to a certain extent is kind of falling into that a little bit with some of these mass-produced ones that are just it's like yeah, like just the the desire to sell it is just bringing so much quality down, and yeah. and it's hard to grow it's expensive so you should uh, you know a Pinot yeah. Noir under $20 uh, you shouldn't be worried about that well but listen we're drinking orange wine today not yeah, yeah, no, no. So that, that's the good news but you know Catherine's mantras from our, our shows are she recommendations for people who are trying to find a new wine is go into the wine store in your area and either find the ugliest label or <laughs> you know ask for a varietal that that, yeah. that they've never heard of because that wine's got to be delicious. Because someone was yeah. excited about it, someone had a passion to bring that, so buy that, and it's probably going to be. They took great. a chance. They yeah. yeah. No, totally. 
I was thinking about other like orange wines because they're really, really tough to find. I think the one that I found here pretty consistently in Florida is the Field Recordings oh, uh, yeah. Skins right. one. Yeah, yeah, that one's a great, great starter wine. Like if you're looking to get into, you know, orange wine, good price point. Like it's not going to not going to blow up the budget, but kind of low risk and being tested out, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it, yeah, exactly. It's just not going to it's not so weird off the wall that it's yeah. just going to be upsetting. That's good recommendation because sometimes I am not in the regular world of wine. I'm in my own <laughs> age. I've seen field recordings at Whole Foods. And yeah. so you can see yeah, exactly. and verify that yeah. Yeah, as a place. So yeah. good call. All right, now we come to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I let you know about this trial that we're going to do this. This can be anything that's inspired you, whether it's something you've read or you ate, or it's uh, you know, oftentimes it's a book from Catherine. I'm going to go first. And it's, I'm a, mu- a big music person. I'm always trying to discover new music. This is a group that was, that kind of came big last year, but they were still on the smaller circuit. It's called Say She She is the name of this group. It's a three person, almost like R&B, disco, and also like yacht rock kind of combination. Huh. And if, as it starts to warm up, you want to put on some music that's good for the patio or whatever. You just want to like, you're cooking outside and you want to hang. Check out this group called Say She She. They just came out with a new single, an A and a B side. I think they're both excellent. Their big hit last year was called Forget Me Not. And it's a really fun kind of funky, but addictive sound of three women singing together. And it's really cool. So, and they're playing, they're getting bigger. They're playing at the Hollywood Bowl this year as an opening act with Portugal the Man, Chicano Batman, which is one of my favorite groups out there today. So check out Say She She. The weather gets a little warmer. You're looking for a little outside music. Catherine, what do you have? Okay, so book recommendation. What's new? I think I mentioned this last fall, Station Eleven. I know that came out years ago, but the you know they've just put on the series. But I love that book. And so then I went back and I looked at her other stuff. The two, actually more recent, The Glass Hotel, I just finished. And right now I'm in the middle of The Sea of Tranquility. And Emily St. John Mandel, I had to look at her yes, name. She is just like incredible. I don't read that much sci-fi, but uh, I feel like what she does so well is just little glimpses of what could be of possibility that make you see what is real in your everyday life in such a new light. These books are incredible. I recommend reading all of them. If you've seen the series Station Eleven, great. Go back and read these other two books because they all intersect. A huge fan, huge fan. Randy and DJ were just talking about Station Eleven the other day and saying the exact same thing. Cause I struggle to get into like fiction in general, but also just and mainly sci-fi. Like I just can't wrap my brain around it, but like I need to read that. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it's not. It's not. I no, nor, don't normally do sci-fi, but yeah, one it, it works. Yeah. Okay. All right, Tron. What do you got for us? What's inspired so you? For, all right, I got I got two things because the first one, the Stanley Tucci Italy series. Hmm. Like I've been gassing that up lately, just because a I think like CNN didn't renew it, obviously because of the CNN Plus thing, but trying to make sure that like <laughs> go watch that so it gets renewed for a third season by somebody because it's just so freaking good but no there's a band i've been listening to public service broadcasting here lately they're out of london it's kind of like i don't really know how to classify it it's like a little bit of electronica a little bit of concept stuff a little bit of indie um but they're very uh like they 
they've got one about like the coal mining industry in Wales. Like the whole album is about that. And it kind of takes you to the arc of that industry from like a historical perspective, like really kind of sounds off the wall, but the music and it's just really, really cool. They've got some stuff that's in German. Like, I don't know, it's very off the wall and I'm not wow. normally like very adventurous when it comes to music, but somebody recommended it to me on Instagram a couple months ago and I've gotten like deep into it and, and I'm not normally good at getting into new music. So like the, the barrier is high. There. I think I think I heard you talk about that on one of your shows, maybe your group talking about how like yeah. it is difficult to find new music as you get older. And that's something I'm really passionate about. So and LA provides that for you, an opportunity to see bands in really small venues. So yeah. I'm going to keep an eye out for that one. That's a great wreck. Sweet. This is it. This is the end of the show. We should probably break bread when you come out to LA. <laughs> I would love to. I would, I would be honored to. But like, try are, to have your yeah. wife and your kids come too. That would so, be well, at least your wife, fun. you know? Yeah. Like, do a double date. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Level two song. No. I mean, you're <laughs> worthless. They should do their own wine podcast. They need us. What are we talking about? So. Uh, thanks again for your time. We'll be in touch. And uh, yeah, keep us in mind when you come out uh, either May or June. We'd love to see you. Perfect. Catherine Tuck, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Too, you. All right, bye. All right, that's it for episode 96. Episode 96 of The Long Finish is in the books. That was fun. Right, Catherine? We enjoyed that interview. We did that during the day, as we stated on the interview. During lunch, or me skipping lunch. It was a really fun interview. I enjoyed his stories. I enjoyed connecting over things that were sort of unexpected. And the wine was delicious. A real treat on a Monday afternoon. And we'll be sure to put Tron's Instagram and social media on Twitter, uh, at Tron Carter in the show notes. I really enjoyed that one. Hope to have more interviews in store in the coming weeks. So please stay tuned for that. And give us some feedback. Hope you like these interviews that we're putting out. Hit us up at The Long Finish on Instagram and let us know what you think and let us know if you want to hear about any other topics we bring up about wine in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. You can find Catherine at Catherine Wild Coker on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Tug Coker. We'll be back soon with some more interviews. So until then, everybody be happy, be healthy, and happy drinking. Ciao.